Rams. Welcome, welcome. Grab a seat, grab a seat. Thank you, Brian. You did me a solid there. I was uh, forgot that I need a microphone when I'm up here, and so uh, he just kept saying nice things about me, which is awesome. Uh, before I get into my message, uh, I've got an announcement for uh, next Sunday morning. Uh, with all of the uh, last week, we had first fruits, and and we you know, basically that's all we talk about in January because it's such a uh, an awesome time, such a pivotal time of the year. But what we kind of forgot was uh, this after this week. Uh, we're actually having a vision meeting on, on Sunday. So it's for the whole church. This is the normal service. But when Pastor Kevin gets up here, uh, he's going to speak about the vision for the church for, uh, for the, next sort of a, the next season. Now, we don't do vision nights, or, or we used to do vision nights. We're actually doing a vision morning. Uh, but we don't usually do vision meetings like on a yearly basis. It's not like something we schedule in, right, we've got to talk about vision. It comes at a time when, as a church, we know we're moving into something else. We just know that uh, God wants to do something different. Uh, pieces have shifted uh, and, and something new is about to arise. And so I totally encourage you, whether you are just brand new in the church, uh, especially if you're brand new in the church, or if you've been here for a long time or uh, anywhere in between, I encourage you, come along next Sunday morning. Uh, Pastor Kevin is going to talk about what, uh, what the plans and purposes that God has really put within him and Pastor Cheryl's lives uh, for this church, what they, what they see this church doing in the year to come, and, uh, and how that, you know, that influences all of us. We're not spectators in church, we're participators. You know, we take part, and, and, and as the church moves in a new direction, we want to be on board with that. You want to ride the wave, as it were, because otherwise you get sort of under the wave, and... Uh, and, and you know, that's not a comfortable place to be. <laughs> you want to be riding that wave. And so I encourage you, come along, be on board. It's going to be an absolutely awesome time. It's going to be an inspirational time. And, uh, and I hope that every single one of us leaves tomorrow, uh, Sunday morning, uh, just inspired for the year and the season ahead. Likewise, I hope you leave here this morning inspired for the week ahead and the year ahead and the rest of your lives ahead. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be an awesome time. Uh, I want to talk about foundations this morning. Uh, which is a pretty foundational topic. And, uh, <laughs> <boo>. <laughs> uh, but I've, uh, I went back to, week, uh, back to work this week sort of full time. My uh, wife, uh, just uh, about a month ago, had our, uh, her fourth baby, a little girl called Alice, uh, who's gorgeous. And uh, because we have four children, the, the week before I'd kind of gone back to work on sort of a part time basis. But I went back full time. And one of the things I wanted to do uh, was get back into running. I, I used to, uh, in the past, I used to run to and from work. Uh, but for the last season, I didn't really have a shower facilities at the place I was at. But my company has moved to a brand new building, or a brand new building down, uh, down on the docks. We're, we're an engineering company. We own a lot of vessels. And so they want to be down on the harbor front so they can look at the vessels. And so we are in this brand new building, and it has you know, these, these wonderful shower rooms. And so I was like, right, excellent. I'm going to start running again, get in shape. Uh, Christmas was not good to me. It was very good to me. Therefore, it was not good to me. So uh, I've got to work this stuff off. Uh, so I ran into work and uh, I got into the showers. And I was instantly hit by a thought, which is, 
I'm about to be naked in my workplace, which is pretty much the, one of the foundational things of most nightmares. Uh, not a comfortable place. In fact, if you think about it, most people, even if you're in the house on your own, you still shut the bathroom door when you're having a shower. You know, it's just a little bit of an uncomfortable thing. Uh, to be honest, it's a bit of an exercise in futility in my house because usually I just hear someone shouting, hey, check this out, Dad's having a shower. I hate it when my wife calls me Dad. <laughs> You know, so uh, I got into my workplace. <laughs> I got into my workplace. I sort of had the showers, got the shampoo in my hair. And it's actually, it's one of these sort of wet rooms, which is quite odd because it's sort of a shower in the corner and then just sort of a big room with nothing in it. Uh, and so there's not even like a mirror or any hooks or anything. So all my stuff is on the floor by the door. And I'm, I get the shampoo in my hair and I've been in the shower for about 30 seconds. And I look to the, to the ground, and I see, I'm thinking to myself, because it's a wet room, I want to make sure my stuff is still dry. I look over to, literally, and this is no exaggeration whatsoever, the water was coming out of the tap onto me, onto the ground, and then missing the plug hole and just making a beeline for the door. I mean, it was like a river. It was narrow river just making its way to the door. I'm looking at it going, oh, that can't be good. One, I'm thinking my stuff. I think my stuff's there. I've got shampoo in my hair. But then it's going to go underneath my stuff, get my stuff soaking, then go into the hallway. And everyone's going to know I'm having a shower at work. And it's going to make the whole hallway soaking. So I'm sort of got there with the shampoo in my hair. I've got to get the shampoo out. I've got to get the shampoo out before I can do with that. I'm just thinking, right, what am I going to do? What am I gonna do? So it gets a lot better because I hear a knock at the door. Uh, and <laughs> my boss says, uh, oh, is there, a, is there somebody in there? And uh, <laughs> so it's just got like infinitely worse. <laughs> I stand there and go, so I think, right, I go, yes. <laughs> I go for the effeminate voice because he's a man. I feel he'll feel really uncomfortable speaking to a female colleague in the shower. Uh, didn't work. <laughs> James, is that you in there? <laughs> <laughs> So I have to then do the move where I go from squeaky voice into normal voice. <coughs> yes, just hit puberty. And he's uh, <laughs> like, uh, James, uh, you know you're flooding the, the hallway. I'm like, uh, crazy, really? Yeah. So that was, that was my first experience of it. And I had to then go and explain to the, the building manager that uh, a shower has a, a little inadequacy in it that doesn't go down, the water doesn't go down the hole, um, which they've since done something about. I've never, there's two showers, I've never used that one. I'm never going to use that shower again. I'm using the other one. I'm safe with the other one. That one, I don't care, it's dead to me now. <laughs> but we have this new office. It's a brand new office, and it is, it is really cool. It's like most modern offices. It's lots of glass. Uh, it's sort of open plan, uh, and it's, it's really cool to stay in. They're, they've figured out the air conditioning now. We used to either be absolutely boiling or absolutely freezing, and now we're absolutely, you know, one in the morning and one in the afternoon, so it kind of evens itself out. Uh, <laughs> but what I've found is, you know, even though we've got this brand new building, it doesn't make us a brand new company. You know, we're still an awesome company, but having a brand new building didn't make us that way. Our strengths are still our strengths, and our weaknesses are still the things that we're working on. You know, having a brand new building hasn't changed any of that. It might enable us to do some things that we didn't do before and maybe address some you know, weaknesses or whatever in the company. But, but we're still the same company. Um, 
because we have the same foundation. We just moved into a new building. Funnily enough, the building that we're in is actually not, it's a new building, but it's on an old foundation. It was built upon a, I think it must have been a listed building. So you can't, you have to keep some of the, the front of the, the office the same. So it has sort of a rustic look to it or sort of an old traditional look to it. Uh, but it has the same foundation. So even the building that we're in is a building, a new building built on old foundations, uh, which it kind of is a bit like reinvention. That's what I was sort of, it, sort of the first word that occurred to me was, it's like we've reinvented, we've reinvented this building. This building still has the same foundation and, you know, it's the foundation of, uh, of a building that really determines its capacity, what it can actually do. If you, if, you look at a, if you look at the comparison between New York and London, New York has these massive skyscrapers that dwarf anything that you, you would have in London. And it, it's not because they can afford bigger buildings. It's because, actually, Manhattan is built on a rock and London is basically a swamp. And so it's, you know, there's, just, there's only so much that you can do with that. There's only how high a building can be. Uh, and, and, you know, much like that in, in our own lives, you know, our foundation is really what determines our capacity. It's what, what determines how high we can go, uh, what we can carry, what we can do. And... Uh, you know, reinvention is reinvention is a funny thing because the foundation stays the same, and so it also it can sometimes give the appearance of something new, the appearance of something that's changed. It can it can uh, almost be a facade that something has happened. I think that's what the idea of reinvention in a, in a personal sense is that that you would turn up to work with a you know sort of a brand new haircut. Uh, a slick suit and, and you know you somehow be somebody different but but you're not it's sort of external it's a little bit superficial it's a it's a reinvention in a very natural sense but still you have had the same experience you're still the same person your values are more than likely still your values your principles are still your principles and so reinvention is a, is, is a funny thing in a very natural sense because it's a bit limited uh, I remember when I was putting this message together I remembered about when I was at school. And when I was at school, I wasn't very athletic. I know that's hard to believe. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I was in the hockey team, basically because not many people wanted to be in the hockey team. So I got to be in it by default. And I, uh, I really enjoyed it. I didn't get to go on the football team. That was a popular one. Uh, but I got to be in the hockey team. I really enjoyed playing hockey. Uh, and I don't know what got into me. I guess this is the sort of thoughts that teenage boys have. But I decided that I was going to just sort of assume the role of the, the hockey team enforcer. And the reason you need to have a hockey team enforcer is because um, in the biblical sense, you know, you, you, an eye for an eye, you know, so you, you forgive. You don't do that in hockey. It's an ankle for an ankle, a head for a head. Uh, you know, you, you, you've got to have somebody who keeps checks and balances in order. And uh, if you think that's rather an amusing thought to think of me in that role. Trust me, 20 years ago, it was infinitely more amusing because I was very small and very unathletic and my name and intimidation were never used in the same sentence. And so I, uh, I decided I was going to take on this role and I remember very clearly the first and last time I ever tried to do anything about this. Uh, I was playing hockey and I was in midfield and one of the opposing players... Uh, cheekily took the ball away from me, gave me a nutmeg, and was running away. And so I was like, well, I can't stand for that. I've got to, got to show him what's what. So I turned around and went after him. But in my eagerness, I completely lost my balance. So I turned around, and I went, you know, completely all over there. So I had to recorrect, and I got my hockey stick stuck underneath me. So I then tripped up, and I'm sort of fumbling all the way over to him. And then 
He turns around, passes the ball off, and then stands to confront me, at which point I fall to my knees in front of him with my hockey stick pinned beneath me and my hands beneath my hockey stick, looking up at him. Oh, now you're going to get it. Now you're going to get it. It was not a great look. I, I tried to reinvent myself in a natural sense, but, but really I was still who I was. I was pretty uncoordinated. I didn't have great balance, and I wasn't very big. So I was never going to be able to do that. I want us to turn to the Bible very quickly. I'm going to look at God's sort of version of reinvention, a much more successful uh, one. And we're going to look at Abraham. Abraham is, a, is an incredible, throughout his life, is an incredible sort of uh, story, account of, of a man whose life was totally transformed by, uh, by God and, and by his inspiration. And I want us to read from Hebrews 11, verse 8 to 16. Uh, I'm reading from the NIV. And it says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs to him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had, promise, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were live, still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared a city for them. See, God took this man, this man Abraham, and he was living sort of a normal life in a fairly anonymous family uh, somewhere in the world. And, and, and God took this man and moved him. He, he, he transported him. He placed a promise in his heart, uh, a message in his heart that, that he was going to uh, be, his, uh, be sort of almost the, the foundational point for, for a new nation, a nation that was chosen and uh, just loved by God. And, and he took him from this really uh, comfortable place, this safe place with his family. And him and his wife traveled to an unknown land, a land where they were foreigners and they were strangers. They did not belong. They had gone from a place where they totally belonged to a place where they, they didn't really belong. And they went from living in sort of houses and, and part of a community to just living in tents. Um, they also had no children, which was, you know, kind of funny in a way because they were being talked about as being the beginning point of a new nation and yet even in their old age they didn't have children and God took these people and and he made a covenant with them he made a covenant with them that was to reinvent them was to completely transform their lives was to take them and make them into somebody new into a new creation and it and it goes on because that what he did there, what those people, how they allowed God to reinvent them, how they allowed God to move their lives into a new direction, to transform their aspirations, uh, their ideas, whatever they had in plan, uh, planned, and, and allow God to sort of take over and transform that and lead them, became the foundation which God 
you know, sort of formed a covenant with all of mankind. And it, and it kind of goes on in, in Ephesians 2, verse 19 to 22. It says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. See, reinvention or or salvation through God is a completely different proposition from from what we kind of do in our own natural sense. God does not, he he takes us and he he transplants us from whatever foundations that we might have had. And he transplants them onto his foundation, onto the foundation that he has formed. And in doing that, we become a brand new creation. Whatever our capacity, whatever our limitations, whatever our restrictions were up to that point are now changed because we no longer sit upon the point that taught brought us there. Our foundation is much the sort of the combination of values, our principles, our experiences, uh, our background. But God takes all of that, all of that that has a cap, that has a limitation, that is finite and puts us onto something else that is infinite that has absolutely no limitation, that the limitation is not really to do with our capacity. It's just about how much we lean in on God, how much we rely upon God, how much we depend upon Him, how much we choose to build our lives upon Him. And in doing that, we become a brand new creation. And by that, our lives, uh, you know, they become something that is more than just about us. It's a place, uh, the purpose of it is the place where the Spirit can dwell where God's spirit can dwell, that he wants to build us into a dwelling place for him, that we would house and manifest his very nature and character to navigate and prosper in whatever surroundings we might be in. That's what he wants to do. He wants to take us from the norm to the, the supernatural. He wants to take us from where we might see a limitation, where we might feel repressed or oppressed. And allow us to stand upon something that is firm, that we can stand upon, that we can grow upon. And there be no limitation. And as I was thinking about this, as I was thinking about just the grandeur of what God has done, and and how much we all stand upon that same foundation. We all have a foundation that that is without restriction. And yet, so often we, we don't sort of live up to that. We don't take full advantage of what is standing beneath us. And I, I wondered where, why that is. Why the, the magnitude and destiny of what God has placed upon our lives, the, uh, the possibilities that he presents to us, why they are often lost on us uh, over time. And I think over time, sometimes we don't see that foundation as the launch pad that it is. I think we sometimes see it as something that we are shackled to. Something that is in a way a restriction or a limitation. We, in, our, in ourselves, in our sort of natural sense, in our, in our flesh, we become a little bored, a little sort of uh, tired of that. We see the rules and we don't see any of the fun. We see all the cants that we abide by but nobody else does. And yet we look at the lives of some of these people and think, but they're living life. We, and I think that leads to us sort of dabbling, just dabbling a little bit on the edge of the cliff. We find ourselves just standing as close to the edge as we possibly can. We don't want to fall off. Don't want to stop coming to church. Don't want to fall out with people. But we stand just as close to the edge as we possibly can, just to sort of taste, just to get an aroma 
of what it feels like. You know, we, we bend the rules. We bend tax rules, maybe. We binge watch that sort of edgy TV series where no one is around. We flirt. We tease. We invite attention. We do these things that we kind of know we're not really supposed to. Get a little bit tipsy. Talk a little gossip. Drive a little bit too fast. Am I the only one here or am I talking to saints? <laughs> we just, you know, maybe we indulge in a little bit of self-pity. Maybe we just allow ourselves to have a few bad attitudes towards some people and towards ourselves. The question is, why do we do that? Because we all know that we're not supposed to. We all know that actually afterwards, it's something that we come to God about and, and we just know that it's not really been something that's added to us. It's not been beneficial in any sense. And yet, why is it a... a something that we sort of slide into and fall into and can, can even become a habit to kind of go back and forth, to stand upon that edge. I think it's because the comfort zone, that kind of comfort zone is, is reward for the flesh. I was thinking about soul food. People know what I mean by soul food. That, it's like that really unhealthy but nostalgic dishes that we feed ourselves. And, and why do we feed ourselves? And it's because it, it makes us feel all warm and gooey on the inside. We like it because it tastes nice and it reminds us of our childhood and it's just got a sort of a, an air of nostalgia about it. But we know it's not good for us. We know that we can't live on a diet of soul food and be healthy and live vibrant life and live a full life. There's a character in the Bible that, that really... Uh, embodies this sort of, this wrestle. Uh, and he's someone that I think we all find, quite, he's quite a complex character, but he's also a very relatable character. Uh, in, in some ways, in some ways he's completely unrelatable because he's so unique. And that's uh, Samson, who was uh, the judge for Israel. And, you know, he was got, uh, someone that got uh, appointed to be a judge over, over the nation of Israel and uh, anointed him with amazing strength to do... Uh, amazing things and, and fight enemies, hundreds of enemies at once with, 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 with nothing more than his bare hands. And yet, he always pushed the envelope. He always pushed the envelope, even though the manifestation of God was so obvious upon his life, so the, the promise upon his life, the, the possibilities of his life were so obvious to himself and to everyone else. And yet, more than really any other judge that you read about, he was so compromised so compromised in what he did. He married, at the very beginning, he married a woman who wasn't from uh, Israel, who was just not going to share the same values that he was supposed to portray of God. Uh, he gambled, he conned people, he ate outside of the covenant that God had sort of established with him. Uh, he visited prostitutes. He married another woman who would pull him even further away from God. He succumbed to seduction and finally, just after years of sort of that kind of unfaithful behavior, the Spirit of God just departed from him at a, at a time when, when enemies were upon him. And the question always was, well, why did God choose to, why did the Spirit depart from him at that particular point? I, I was looking into it, and I, I believe it's, he became so complacent and so familiar with the Spirit that he just expected God to get him out of jams. He would get himself into jams through bad decisions and just sort of have this reliance that, well, the strength that God has given me will get me out of this. Became just a little bit familiar, just a little bit complacent, and just took God for granted. Just took the fact that God would rescue him, that God was there for him, just took it for granted. 
He was anointed to be a judge over Israel. And one of his primary sort of uh, objectives was he was supposed to free them. They were under captivity from, uh, from the Philistines. And, and he was supposed to, to bring them out of that. And yet, despite all of the amazing victories he had, all of the enemies that he slayed, they never were out of captivity. They, he started and ended his reign 20 years in captivity. And he never took them to the promise that he was supposed to. And there's, in the Bible, in the New Testament, I think God outlines this, this dynamic and these consequences for our lives. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9 to 15, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as, as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. No one wants to be the one escaping through the flames. You see there, just on a side note, the faithfulness of God, that even in, in spite of the fact that we might be responsible for burning down whatever he has built up, we're not lost. He never forsakes us. We might reap the consequences of our actions, but when it's all said and done, God will yank us out of the fire. God will always save us. And that is something that speaks so much more of the grace of God. God knows the frailties in our hearts. And I hope that my heart today in this message is not one to point fingers. It's one to just sort of almost realign ourselves with God. And just know that God is a graceful God, is a God of such forgiveness. And he has such a desire for us. He sees us as his children. And he's just looking to just gather. Gather us always. Gather us always. It says when there was one lost sheep. He went after that. He, he, he left the 99 and went after the one. And that is God's heart. He will always go after the one because ones are precious. And you, and you, are, you, know, you might feel like one of those ones. You might feel like you might have wandered a little bit far. Well, let me tell you, God is coming after you. God is on your case. God has got a heart for you. God is speaking to you. You know, we sometimes might get a little bit frustrated with these, you know, just a sense of knowing that we shouldn't be doing what we're doing or walking in paths that we shouldn't walk. But know this, that is God just loving you. That is God trying to correct you, trying to draw you back, just trying to bring you back into covenant with you because he does not want you to be lost. He doesn't want you to step away. I was, when we were, we were talking about, you know, God is building us. God has God got a plan to build our lives. And I think that we often like to build conservatories onto what God is building like to build a conservatory because a conservatory is a place we can go and spectate. It's a place we can stand and be warmed by the sun and, you know, chilled in the cold. But a conservatory is not a place that is going to keep you safe when, when the elements hit, when the storm hits. Yeah. You never heard a king of a castle say, let's go to the conservatory to watch the enemy advance. <laughs> you, you would never hear somebody say, children, quick, to the conservatory, I can see a tornado coming. It never happens. Because it's not a place that is going to withstand the elements. God says he will test what we build. And what will build it is, uh, what will test it is the circumstances of life. Whether it be just disappointment. 
whether it be grief, whether it be any number of things that comes against us, that's what tests what has been built. Can it withstand the elements? Can it withstand adversity? Is it resilient against what comes against us in the world? God never says that our walk with him is one that is you know, perfect and lined with flowers and, and you'll never have a hard day in your life. That is nonsense. And if that is what you've heard up till now, let me correct that. We will still face troubled times. But the difference is we have hope in God. We have a hope in God that takes us above that, that takes us beyond that, that we are not crumpled by circumstances, but we overcome circumstances. We stand above circumstances. And God has a heart that every single one of us would know that and walk in that this day, that we would leave here knowing that we are conquerors, that we stand over anything that might come against us. Whether it be something that has been happening for a long time, where it has a long period of time to, to try and work around, or whether it's just be a sudden thing. God has given you power over those circumstances. The devil wants to try and take away from that, to detract from it always. That we would go outside of our faith and relationship with him to find consolation, to try and have a good time. One of the greatest lies, one of the absolute pit of hell lies, is when people are struggling, saying, I need to take a bit of time from church to recharge. That is a lie. That never came from God. There's not a single time in the Bible where anything of that nature happens. And God does not, does not encourage that. That is not a word from God. Let me tell you that this day. That is not a word from God. That is a, that is a word that takes you into the conservatory. It doesn't take you into the house. And when we see those restrictions upon our lives, we sometimes, as I said, there's sometimes this idea that we are shackled. I want us to have a new mindset this day. There is no restriction in God because because as much as we might want to slant whatever is being built or even try and extend it into something else, God has given us the opportunity to rise said in that first scripture I read that we would rise, that we can build up. You know there is no restriction on building upwards. There's absolutely none. What God asks of us is, is when we find God, when we, when we have that, that reinvention moment, when we have that salvation moment in our lives, and God just instantly downloads into our lives just a whole bunch of just the, the principles of him, of, of, of his values, of who he is. The more that we explore those things, the more we look into those things and we, we, we uh, digest them, the more we put our roots down deep, the greater that we can rise, the greater that we can go upwards, the greater we can be built. It's something, you know, you, if, you have a, if you have a house with shallow foundations, if you keep building, it's going to topple over. There's a, there's, a, there's a capacity to that building. But the more we dig deep, the more we build into and, and seek after and, and, and allow God to move upon our lives and move upon just uh, our mindsets, on upon our soul, upon our spirit, and to speak into those things and to, to take those principles that may be very simple at the outset and just expand them to create a whole network of root work beneath us, then we can grow. Grow mighty and grow high. Yeah. You know, if you look at uh, some, of the, some of the writings of Solomon in, uh, in Proverbs or, or in Ecclesiastes, they're so sharp and so far-reaching in their concepts. But that is a man who, who de- dug deep into God. And what happened was his perspective rose. It rose above the chaos. It rose above the circumstances. And it was able to look out over the horizon. It was able to see far in the eyes of God. And that's what God has for every single one of us. God has a plan that we would dig deep into him and be built up high. Can I get someone up on keys? 
I'm going to finish in a second. Rather than stretch our foundation or slant it or, or whatever, let's just let's break off that mindset. That is not a restriction. We can build. We can build upon that. And there is no limitation to what we can build. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 to 19, it says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as far as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. God talks about a foundation there that, that doesn't just, it reaps enjoyment. It reaps life that is truly life. Don't ever think that your walk with God is one that that does not have a bit of fun in it, that does not have the enjoyment of life. It is not something you have to step away from to find uh, other interest. You find God in everything, in every walk of your life. Bring it into the house. Bring it into the building that he has brought. See, the most safest and most prosperous approach to building a fulfilling life is to build within the bounds of your foundation upon the principles of your faith. God has got such a heart for every single one of us here today. He has a heart that, that we see him more than just a creator. You know, he's created that foundation for us, but, but that is just the beginning point of an introduction with him. See, God wants us to see him not just as a creator, not just as God, but, but as a father, as somebody in our life, as somebody that that we can relate to, that we can have a relationship with, who can speak into our lives. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and, and yet just don't really feel like you have a relationship. You see him as sort of stern and distant. God is, wants to be close and relational and intimate, that you can be vulnerable in his presence, that you can be close to him. I've got one more verse that I want to read for you from 2 Timothy 2 verse 19 to 21. It says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. God has called us all to be a part of his household. It says the Lord knows those who are his. And he's made them for, for great purposes, for good works, that we can have relation, that we can be part of the household. We could all just shut our eyes for a minute. I just want to give everybody just some privacy, just some time to themselves.